This message is provided by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church, and this message was recorded during one of our regular Sunday morning services. Today, Pastor Jason is taking us on a walk through Psalm 1, looking at two different paths and two different lifestyles. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 6 in a sermon that Jason's entitled, Two Paths. Here's Jason. If you could turn with me to to the book of Psalm, Psalm chapter 1. And as you turn there, I I have kind of an introductory question for you that will kind of frame our minds a little bit as to where we're going to go with this text. And that question is, have you ever been lost? Yeah, I'm sure all of us have been lost. And immediately when I say that, most of you think in terms of your car. You're driving somewhere and your GPS doesn't work or somebody gave you directions and they were wrong. Many people that come up to visit, visit us at, at our previous camp, they'd always get lost because the GPS would take them to a, to a lake instead of to our camp. But really, that isn't what, I, what I'm talking about. When, when I talk about getting lost, I'm, I'm talking more about walking. And I'm talking more about what, what you see on the slide there. Not so much... I didn't... As you notice... I'm calling this sermon Two Paths. Not two freeways, not two highways, not even two roads, but but two paths because that communicates the idea of of a walk, a footpath, right? And I happen to know a a thing or two about getting lost in the jungles of Papua New Guinea on many paths, on many trails. And even though I I might have taken my family once or twice on a couple wrong turns and, and... and not really ended up at the river that we thought we were going to, the people themselves, they, they seldom ever got lost. Even at night when, when there was hardly any moon, they could still follow this really small path that, that really is only about four to six inches wide and, and not even enough room for you to walk foot by foot, but you have to go foot over foot. And yet there, there was a little boy named Boaz who did get lost. And I, and I still remember my impressions of, of Boaz the, the first couple weeks that we moved into, into our village. And the reason why Boaz sticks out in my mind so much is because whenever the airplane would come in and that prop would be spinning, Boaz just had a fascination with that prop. And he'd just seriously run for the prop and reach his hand out. Like he wanted to touch that propeller as it was, as it was shutting down. And, and as the years went on, it, it became someone's job each time the plane came to figure out where Boaz was and to stop him from running after the plane. And you could see the pilot's eyes get all big as he's running and somebody would grab him. And, and what also became apparent with Boaz was that, that he couldn't communicate like every other child in our tribe. He could only really say three words in, in the vernacular. And those three words were, Hampo siabo. Hoppo banana, see ripe, abo give, give me. And he'd come up and he'd, and he'd say, Hoppo see abo, give me a banana, give me a banana. And if you looked at him, he, he was probably eight, nine, ten years old, so a big, big, big kid, still didn't wear any clothes, and, and he was racked with what we'd call greely, ringworm. All over his body were just these little circles. And, and he was very dirty. And what had happened, when he was a little boy, he, he, he had meningitis. And it had done something to his mind. 
And as a result, to be completely honest, Boaz's life was hard. He was getting in fights all the time with, with different kids and, and different people because he couldn't communicate, right? And he'd come to, to our house and he'd play with my kids outside and inevitably I'd start to hear rocks flying and my kids running and I'd have to run outside and save my children from Boaz and, 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 and gracefully and lovingly grab little Boaz's hand and guide him up our airstrip and, and take him home. One day when, when Boaz's family went into their garden to a, a garden that was a couple, almost a couple hours away and they were staying at their, their garden house, they were working in the garden and the kids all came home and Boaz must have fallen a little bit behind the rest of his brothers and sisters. And they all took a right on, on the fork and Boaz took a left. And where he ended was a great big swamp. I'm not talking about a little swamp. I'm talking about an eight-mile swamp. And once you get... Nobody would go to that swamp because once you get in that swamp, you just get lost. And there's great big thorns on all the, on all the trees and it, it's dangerous. But not only that, if, if you weren't careful, you'd, you'd step off of a log into a hole that was full of water above your head. And, and, and Boaz couldn't swim. And I, and I wish to say that the, ants, that the, the ending to this story was, was a great ending, but, but the reality is Boaz was never found. And I, I have to assume that, that, that Boaz died in that swamp. But what's even more sad than, than Boaz's story is the story of his father. You see, Boaz's father's name was Sabian, and he was our village sorcerer and a, a man of of prominence and, and, and authority and power. And he came to us the, the next morning and he said, hey, my son got lost last night. Can you guys come with me? And let's, let's do a search party for Boaz. And everybody knew exactly where he got lost, where the swamp was, so we, so we took off in that direction. And then for the next four hours was probably the most frustrating time I had overseas or one of the most frustrating times. Because what you would have thought happened was, was Sabian would take the 25 of us and he'd say, five guys go this direction, five guys go that direction, five guys go here, five guys go in the middle, and, let's, and then we'll send some other guys around the perimeter and all of us will scream out as much as we can, telling Boaz to come this way and, 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 and then that way we'll, we'll, we'll somehow get his attention and find him. But instead, what, what Sabian did was he said, oh, no, no, Jason, we don't, we don't need to go deep into the swamp. I know exactly where he is. He's in one of these first trees here. And there are these great big monster trees. And I said, what? He said, yes, yes. Do you remember Mepha? He just died a couple months back. Remember, I stole his wife. And, and I know that, that, that he's taken my son. And the way that it happens is like this, Jason. You see these great big trees. It's almost like they have a zipper for the spirits. And, 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 and I'm sure what happened was, was Mepha, he unzipped this tree, reached out, grabbed my son, pulled him into the tree and zipped it back up. And so what we need to do is we need to go to these trees and ask, and ask for, for Mepha to give Boaz back. And so for the next four hours, no matter how much I tried to pull him to leave this small little area of like quarter of a mile and, and go deeper, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't let anybody else do it. He is truly a man that was on the path of the wicked, as we're going to see from Psalm 1 today.
And I wish to say that, that, that his story has a happy ending, but after ministering with him nearly 20 years and constantly coming to him, I'd say there wasn't a, probably a month or two that would go by where I wouldn't stop by Sabian's house and plead with him to come to the teaching that he'd just reject it. To such an extent that he forbid his, his wives to even come and hear the teaching. How do we keep ourselves from that path? The path of the wicked. Look at me with at Psalm 1. And I'll read out loud as, as you guys read along to yourselves. And we'll see what God's Word has to say. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and we need you. We need your spirit. We need your word for, for guidance, for direction. Help us to treasure this word. Teach us to love you more and to walk along your path. Speak through your word now this morning. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. By way of giving you a little bit of an introduction, I, I, I don't plan on, on teaching through the Psalms with you all. I, I, I chose this Psalm with, with an intentionality and purpose because I believe this is a good preparatory Psalm. It's different than all the rest of the Psalms. You, you, you know, the, the theme of Psalms is praises, praise, praise to God. And, and, and we know that if we, if we looked at many, many of these psalms, we'd, we'd see that a lot of them have been put to music, right? And, and that's indeed what the book of Psalms is. It's, it's, it's like a, a hymnal, a worship, a worship book. And yet the first two chapters aren't quite the same. And I believe the reason is, is because before you can worship God, sing praises to Him in the, in the rest of the 148 psalms, God wants to communicate the kind of worshiper He wants you and I to be. And not only you and I individually, but you and I corporately as a body. And what things need to matter most to us. And, and, and I don't endeavor to come before you Sunday after Sunday, ooing and aahing you with, with stories from the bush and, and, and this and that. But what I endeavor to do is... is has come to you with this. The pure and simple word of God because this is what contains truth, unadulterated truth. Because this is our life. And this is what we should stand upon. And yes, I'll throw some stories in there from Siawi because it's part of who I am. But all of those are going to be diminished compared to the importance of God's word. So I pray that, that when, when we leave today, you don't remember the story about Boaz, but you remember the fact of what God's Word is teaching us. 
And so I would say, if, if I was going to summarize the Psalm 1 here, it would be something like this. Follow the path of the righteous by delighting in the Word of God. Follow the path of the righteous by delighting in the Word of God. Or, or in a quicker nutshell, the things that you delight in will either make you blessed or they'll destroy you. The things that you delight in will either make you blessed or they will destroy you. That's what we're going to see in this psalm. And if you like to fill in the blanks that, that's in your in your bulletin, you, you, you can fill them in right now. I'm, I'm going to tip my hand right from the start so that then you guys don't have to worry about, oh, I forgot to fill in the blank. And you can add in anything that you want to your notes as, as God convicts you and encourages you and challenges you with with the wonderful Word of God. And it goes like this. In this psalm, God highlights the importance of delighting in God's Word so that you will not follow, not follow the way of the wicked and suffer their ruin. But follow the way of the righteous and enjoy their riches, their blessings. Really, what, what this is, again, is two paths. And in Papua New Guinea, I had two chalkboards in the back that I'd always write things on. And those characterize, again, kind of like these two paths. And, and if we were to look at these two paths, they're, they're, it's pretty simple. You've got destruction on the one side. You've got protection. You've got death on one side. You've got life. You've got curses on the one side. You've got blessing on the other. And, and God would have us to choose which, which road to follow. Of course we'd want to choose the road of blessing, but at times our focus gets off. So, so let me unpack this wonderful psalm for us. Starting with verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Again, usually with a psalm, we, we jump right to the negative side of things that we're not supposed to be doing. Right? But I, I want to pull our attention to the first couple words. How blessed is the man? A, a characteristic that we see right off from a godly man, a man who follows the path of the righteous, is that he is blessed. In the Hebrew, this word could be translated as happy. Which, isn't that something that we all want? Isn't that kind of the motif of America? Why do people come to America? So they can write write their own check, right? So that they can have the good life, so that they can become the lifestyles of the rich and the famous that they've seen on, on television or what have you. In fact, as, as we're getting close to... to to 4th of July and, and, and remembering our, our, our independence. Remember with me what the Declaration of Independence talks about. Do you remember what it says? Something that, that is part of who we are as a nation. The pursuit of happiness. And that, that's, that's what all Americans want. And yet the reality is, is, is the happiness that this world is offering us and that this American dream is offering us, really the happiness and the blessedness of what God's Word is communicating here. No. 
No, it's not. Because the happiness and the blessing that this world offers is devoid of God. It's without God. It's contrary to God. It's the idea that you can have your cake and eat it too without any consequences. That what you need is a bigger house, a better car, a higher paying job, and then you will be happy. You will be blessed. And yet the reality is, look at the superstars in the sports world. How happy are they? Look at the people in Hollywood. How happy are they? They're in and out of marriages, in and out of marriages, trying to find what? Trying to find happiness in all the wrong places. Where does true blessing and happiness come from? It comes from a right relationship with our God, with our loving Creator, and following His ways. So all of that is kind of introductory (laughs) for where this psalm is going to take us. And then he goes on. Whoever the writer of the psalm is, we don't know. David wrote many of these psalms and oftentimes it says that he is the author. But this first psalm, it doesn't tell us. But we know that God is the author, right? This is the inspired word of God. And so what does he say first off? He says, Blessed is the man who does not do these things. He goes into the negative. Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Does not stand in the path of sinners. Does not sit in the seat of scoffers. I don't know how you guys are, but I don't like it when people tell me what not to do. Right? And yet, what do we do with our children? Right away. As soon as they can get to the point to where they're walking and they're walking towards that heated oven or that burner and they're reaching for it no 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 don't touch that right why because we have their best interests at heart they don't know that that is going to hurt them and so we have to train them just as our heavenly father comes and trains us because what happens over time we start to think oh you know what that's not really that bad and so he goes in with these three negative characteristics of the wicked that you and I are not to follow. And look at the first one. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Who walks on... Blessed is the man who does not walk on the path of... The counsel of the wicked. Not, not the ways of the wicked. The counsel. Do you, do you see how he's starting with what? The mind. And what informs our minds. You know why? Because this is the way sin works. Sin first is something that happens where? In our minds. And we compromise the standards of God's Word in our mind. That's taking us one step the wrong direction. One step closer to sin. And, and, and that's what he's talking about. I believe that this is showing us a progression. A progression towards sin. And that that progression, that that walking towards sin and walking the wrong path starts in our minds. And what is informing our minds? Where we are receiving our counsel from? We must receive our counsel from God's Word. And then it goes on and and he says, nor stand in the path of sinners. This then is talking about actually doing something and continuing in a wrong, sinful act. And we know that sin is missing the mark, so this is... Whatever God would say that we're to do, it's doing the opposite. It's then taking it to action, but you're still not sitting in it. You're standing in the path of the sinners. You're following them, but it's not a 
habitual thing yet until you get to to the final characteristic, sit in the seat of scoffers, that that is not what we're supposed to do. This is talking about a, a habit, a lifestyle that becomes something that we do over and over and over and over again to, to the place to where now you, you really you don't even think anymore. You just react in that particular way instead of responding in godliness. Notice also here that there's a contrast between the one and the many. Because he's talking about the blessed man, one, singular, versus how many wicked, plural, how many sinner. Is it one sinner? No, sinners. And how many scoffers? Those that that would actually do what? It's literally the word is babble, that they would talk against God. And that's the progression of sin. And God, He wants us to stay away from that. And He wants us to follow His path. But how do we do that? How do we, like Boaz, who got lost physically, do we keep ourselves from getting lost spiritually and following the wrong path and not even knowing that we're on the wrong path? Look at verse 2. But His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law He meditates day and night. The answer is God's Word. The answer is our mindset about God's Word. Psalm 17.4 says it like this, By the words of thy lips I have kept me from the path of the deceiver. Recognizing that, that we need this Word of God. That we need it daily. To such an extent that, that what does the psalmist say? He says that, that he, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That, that Hebrew word is rich and it carries the, the, the meaning to consider something a valuable thing. Like you would consider your brand new car valuable, so valuable that you're going to keep an eye on it. You're going to be careful where you park it. You're going to be careful how close the car is next to you so they don't dent your car when they open up their door and this and that, right? How much more so should we consider God's word valuable that we would actually open it each day? But do we? And why would we consider God's word valuable? Well, because Proverbs 35 says because it's flawless. Ephesians 6 says because it's the sword of the Spirit, it's able to impact us. And we know Hebrews 4.12 says because it's living and active. And we could look at the entire book or chapter of Psalm 119 and we would see many, many amazing things about God's word. But what I would want to remind us of this morning is that it is eternal. It will never, ever cease. Is there any other book on the face of this earth that is like this? No. This is why someone could come and preach God's Word and it, and it, and it will just shut like a sharp sword, dag into, dagger into different ones without me even knowing what your particular life circumstances, is, Right? Because this is living and active. Which brings me to the implication question is what does it mean to you? Does it mean enough to you that that when you get home on Sundays that you actually don't just keep your Bible in the same place that it was the following Sunday (laughs) 
when you, when you get ready to come to church. That you actually use it every day and that you actually open it and that you actually spend time in it. Why? Because you consider it valuable. Do you know we ministered with a, with a people group in Papua New Guinea who did not have this word for generation after generation after generation. And when it came time to hear God's word and, and I was going to start teaching them the book of Acts and I asked them, when do you want me to start teaching? Do you know what their response was? Tomorrow. And I said, oh, I'm not ready yet. And they said, what do you mean? This is our food. This is our spiritual food. We've been without it for all of these generations. Don't withhold food from us, Jason. Is that our attitude towards God's word? Do we look at it as something that we can't get by with every day? And if I were to ask you at the end of the day, when you've eaten your three meals whether or not you've eaten from God's Word, if that would be convicting to you or not. Man, that's convicting for me. And I'm a pastor. God's Word should be part of who we are. It should be something that that we what? That we consider valuable. And then he goes on and he's going to explain why we should consider it valuable. He's going to give us a, a, a picture of what this actually will do in our lives. Look at verse 3. And the psalmist says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The sense of the word firmly planted here is the idea of an intentional location. So it's not so much so important whether or not this was a a little seedling that somebody planted or if this was a tree that somebody transplanted. We don't know, but what's important is the locale. What what the author is trying to communicate here is there is intentionality behind where he planted this tree. And why is that so important? Because in the dry, arid climate of Palestine, if if you're a tree and you're not close to some source of water, you're dead. Right? What's that implication for you and I? If we're not spending time in the Word spiritually, we're dead. We're dying. Look at the three blessings that that come as a result of of delighting in the law of God and meditating on the law of God. First, it yields fruit in its season. In an environment where you wouldn't think it would yield fruit, right? Right? But because it's close to the source of water, it can yield fruit. In the same way, the way that the water gives nourishment to the root system, even though you can't see the roots, and you don't even know that they're there, they are there and they're getting strengthened by the water. In the same way, God's Word is powerful in in kind of an invisible spiritual way. That it feeds our souls. That it strengthens us. And allows us to what? Look at the next part of the verse. It allows its leaf to not wither. So when hard times come, and they will come, it's understood in this context that we are going to all have hard times. But when those hard times come, for those that are delighting in the law of God and meditating on His Word, They're not going to shrivel up. 
And, and maybe you know someone that has gone through something amazingly difficult, a loss of a child or, or cancer. And yet through that time, man, they're standing strong and they're, and they're praising God. How can they do that? Because of this. Because of the effect that God's Word, God's Spirit has upon the believer and allows believers to stand in the midst of crazy, crazy situations and circumstances. And in whatever he does, he prospers. That would be the third. That God will bless those who who stand upon his word, cherish his word, delight in his word. But look at the contrast that we see in verses 4, 5, and 6. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Just as we saw three blessings with those that delight in the in the law of God, we, we really see three curses here for the wicked, for those that don't delight in God's law, don't care about God's word, don't care about God's way and do things their own way. We, we see that they're, first, they're, they're blown like chaff. In Palestine, in Israel, the, the threshing floor was usually located on a flat, open place like on a hilltop. So that when the ears of grain are thrown up, the heavy grain will fall on the ground while the wind does what to the chaff? The wind just drives it away and blows it. Why? Because it is light and useless. That's the picture of the wicked who have no anchor, who have no foundation, who have no protection as we're going to see. They're left to themselves. The believer not so. Man, there's so many blessings that come because of our wonderful God. And yet in the context here, it's for those that are delighting in God's Word. But it's not just the one curse that's given to to the wicked. It's not just that they're going to be blown, but look at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in in the assembly of the righteous. Here's the second aspect of the wicked that they will not stand in the assembly of of the righteous. They'll be thrown down at the day of judgment. There's a day of reckoning coming where every man's present character and work will be truly and perfectly judged. Not like the judges that we see on television today (laughs) that that are totally partial and, and, and oftentimes unjust. But God is going to be completely just and completely impartial. And and those that are not His children, that are on the outside, they will be shut out from the eternal blessings of heaven that you and I as believers will enjoy. But things actually get worse. Not only will they not be able to stand, not only will they be judged, but we see what happens in the end of verse 6, the, the last half, to the, to the wicked. But the way of the wicked will perish. Quite dogmatic, quite emphatic. It's not like you can jump over this verse. For those that believe that, that in annihilationism, that, that somehow at, at the end when, when sinners are judged and, and the wicked are judged, that they're just going to go through a torment that... that you know, is excruciating, but it's done. And it's temporal, and it's maybe 20 seconds of pain. 
that, that's not what the scriptures talk about. And I know that many people don't even like to talk about hell these days and that, that pastors like to skip over it and say, oh, I don't know that that really exists. And I, I don't know how you can do that because Jesus talks about it all over the place. And t- in fact, he talks about it more than anybody else does in the Bible. No, hell is a real place. And hell needs to be something that's a reality for us. Why? So that, that we can share this good news with others. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10:28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But fear him who is able to, to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And in, and in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, if, if you want to turn there, we can see what John the Baptist says about Christ. Matthew chapter 3. I'll start at, at, at verse 11. Again, this is, this is John the Baptist talking about the one that will come behind him. The one that he's the front runner for, the forerunner of. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And listen to this. This, this sounds so much like Psalm 1. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn. Who are the wheat? The wheat are the believers. His barn is is his kingdom. His real, true, physical kingdom that we will enjoy with him forever. But look at what he says. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Who is the chaff? It's, It's the wicked the unsaved. Unquenchable fire. That means a torment, a torture that goes on forever. A fire that never burns out. But praise the Lord that that, that's not all that this psalm talks about, right? Because look at the the first part of verse 6. And this shows you our, our, our wonderful God's care for His children. And so take solace and encouragement in this. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Hebrew word knows there would, would most likely better, better be translated watch over. Because in, in, in the context and the nuance of, of this word, it, it has more of, a, of conveying an, an idea of, of intimate and personal care. Protection and care in the midst of, of, of the context, that talking about the tree and how ones that are close to the water, what they, they flourish, they can stand strong. Okay, we as believers, if we do not neglect God's word, what does God do? He protects us. And He looks after us and He cares for us and encourages us and reminds us that, that, that He's got this, even though we may not understand it. So let me give you four, four things to take away with this morning. Four, mostly questions. Number one, do you delight in God's Word? Does God's Word really have value and worth to you? Or do you allow it to sit on the shelf all week until Sunday rolls around? Do you meditate? Number two, do you meditate on God's Word? This week, don't just value God's Word. 
But when you read it, get a thought or two and really ponder that thought throughout the week or throughout that day. You don't have to memorize that entire scripture that you're reading for that morning. Just grab something that is in that text. Maybe of God's grace or God's mercy or God's love. And, it, and as our people used to say, and then put that in your thinking and chew on it throughout the day. Number three, remember that God knows His children with a personal and intimate care. And as you read the Word each day this week, He's going to remind you of His love and how He watches over you. But not only that, number four, not only does God want to remind you of, that He knows you with an intimate and personal care and that He will protect you, but He wants to remind you of those who do not follow the path of the righteous. That they are headed for destruction and it's an eternal destruction. And He wants you and I to share His good news with those who, who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior. And I, I don't know where all of you are at this morning. And maybe some of you are, are, are at the point where you've never trusted in Christ. You've never understood why Christ came and died. Well, I'll let you know the reason why Christ came and died is because we're all sinners. And the punishment for our sin is death. And rightfully so, we all deserve hell. And eternal punishment is as, as we read about. But God in His grace sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could trust in Him. And while He was on the cross, He took the punishment for sin. If you want to talk about that, you can come up and and spend some time with some of us after the service. Thank you. Let me close our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we... We stop and, and, and we thank you for your word. We recognize that there are people out there who do not have your word, that are cut off from knowing you because they are in a, in a place where knowing you is, is not available. And yet here we have how many translations? Maybe some of us have many translations in our own home. And yet, Lord, are we neglecting your word? Do we consider it something worth our time and our energy and our effort? Lord, I, I pray that you would use our, your word in, in our hearts and that you would uh, allow us to consider your word as something incredibly valuable. And go before us now. Jesus' precious name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.